Hello and welcome to Deja Vu, the Ithacan's weekly review podcast. I'm your host, Jake Leary, and I am here today with Aiden Lentz, the person who has probably been on this show more than anybody else. Possibly. Yeah. I would say almost definitely. You've been there since the beginning. I Yeah, I think I was on the second episode. No, you weren't. You were on the third. <sighs> I have a distinct memory for the first, like, three podcasts and can't remember anything that's happened after that. But that doesn't matter. That's useless opening banter, because we're going to talk about Alita Battle Angel today which I think both of us have a lot to say about, even though neither of us think it's all that great or all that terrible. Nor am I even having an easy time remembering what happened, even two days out from seeing it. I am in the same position. Yeah. Uh, and I'm kind of wishing I took notes. I'm saved because I also wrote the review for this, which you can check out on the Ithacan. So I had to remember certain things that I wouldn't have otherwise. Nice. Very helpful. And just so you know, Alita Battle Angel has 10 million people behind it. This is our little biographical pieces of information, uh, directed by Robert Rodriguez, written in part by James Cameron, and I believe also produced by John Landau. Like, it's a weird mix of people. Also produced by James Cameron. He was originally attached to direct it, and then he decided he never wanted to make a movie that wasn't Avatar. (laughs) So he gave it to Robert Rodriguez. And for once, he dodged a bullet. Yeah, yeah. He still hasn't... He really hasn't had a flop his entire career, whereas with Robert Rodriguez, it's more just impressive that he made a big movie at all. You know, like this isn't gonna hurt his career. It's not like it's not like he has this huge reputation of hits to uphold. It's not. But I enjoy Robert Rodriguez as a director and some of, like the limited scope of his work that I've seen, which yeah. is Spy Kids, one, two, and three, Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and Predators. <laughs> and I guess from Dusk Till Dawn, because he directed that. He directed and that yeah. Tarantino wrote it. Is that how that uh, breaks down? Yes. Right. Uh, and started it. So I like all of those movies for the weird, goofy parts of them that there are, but this one is kind of where it breaks down. And some of that is not his fault, because Alita is not an original property. It is based on a manga by Yukito Kishiro, uh, came out in the early 90s, originally called Gunm, G-U-N-N-M. Try yep. pronouncing that, because I can't. Gunm. Gunm. And it is, <clears throat> it's painfully exactly what you think it is. It is the prototypical, are androids people, here's a cyberpunk city with very distinct and clear and insane class divides as allegory for human like personality and soul searching and all this nonsense. And if that was a jumble coming out of my mouth, it's because it's a jumble in this movie and also is the same as Ghost in the Shell and is the same as... Blade uh, Runner. Blade Runner. Well, ultimately, it's the same as Blade Runner. All of these movies are Blade Runner, but within the last two years, and I'm quoting my review a little bit, we've had Ghost in the Shell. We've had Altered Carbon. We've had movies like that in this genre that do the exact same thing. And each one has its own little flair, a little bit to make it distinct. You know, Altered Carbon had robotic Edgar Allan Poe, and Ghost in the Shell had really poor taste. And this has neither of those things. But it does have a lot of bright colors and some of the most questionable designs I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. I one of the most <clears throat> one of the most uh, controversial elements I feel like of the design is Alita herself, and I feel like she's actually the only character that gets off the best, other than the human characters. I think Alita actually works eighty percent of the time. As far as the design goes, it's not quite the Uncanny Valley because she's too cartoony to fall into it. It's not like uh, 
the character from Rogue One that they brought back to life, where it's supposed to be uh, a real human and it's horrifying looking. Oh, the the Grand Moff Tarkin and then yes. ultimately Carrie Fisher problem. Yeah, it's not nearly that bad because she looks like an anime. Uh, the problem comes in when when you're talking about designs, uh, like Ed Skrine, uh, who plays Zapan. Uh, which it is just Ed Skrine's face superimposed on a robo-body, which doesn't look good, but I don't think it looks objectively terrible. The worst look in all of them is Hugo, because, spoiler alerts, he eventually has his head transplanted on a robot body, and I think that effect looks the worst because you get so used to what he looked like as a person, whereas with all the other ones, you're introduced to these characters as a floating head. So once you see him, it's, yeah, it's really jarring. It's really terrible. Yeah, because this is a movie, and like we said, this movie is Blade Runner. So imagine the Blade Runner world, a future city with Asian influences around it. um, And the city in this case is called Iron City. And floating above it is a city called Zalem, which is like this heavenly utopia where only the rich people go. Again, it is altered carbon. That is the same idea. Alita is... (laughs) again, the protagonist from Altered Carbon, and technically this was an anime in the 90s and I believe came before the book that Altered Carbon is based on, but I've seen Altered Carbon before this, so that's the point of reference I'm going to use. She is discovered in a scrap heap by Dyson Ido, who is played by Christoph Waltz. He is a fancy cyber doctor who does, basically he runs like a doctor medical science clinic and repairs a bunch of robot people all around for free. Yeah, he's like a man of the people. There's a line where like someone gives them a basket of fruit for it, and they're like, "Oh, well, how are we ever gonna, you know, keep our shop open like this?" So it's very like it's like Daredevil or any other sort of show like that. Yeah, and that's how you know he is a good person. <laughs> he is divorced from his wife, played by Jennifer Connelly, uh, Doctor Sheeran or Sheeran, who is a similar character, similar know-how, um, is able to operate on robots because everybody has cyber enhancements to get by. And she is just plain evil and kind of comedically obtuse. She's working for Mahershala Ali, who is a non-character. He is the villain who's placed in front of us like a corrupt game show operator, basically, for the super sport in this universe. Because, of course, it has a super sport (laughs) called Motorball, which uh, I, I don't. Motorball is the most Spy Kids part of this movie. It looks like a scene from Sharkboy and Lava Girl or Spy Kids, and it yeah. doesn't fit. No, I think there are two scenes that look that are particularly Robert Rodriguez-y, which is the bar scene, which is very from Dust Till Dawn, um, and, yeah, the motorball scene, which is aggressively his kids' uh, movie phase. Yeah, this movie, uh, sorry to get off track of your motorball thing, but, like, I think this movie sort of has this issue of it is sort of Robert Rodriguez trying to combine his From Dust Till Dawn and more adult machete sensibilities with uh, his Spy Kids and Sharkboy and Lava Girl sensibilities and trying to mix them into a movie that is good for everybody. Uh, and the problem is, is that this is a movie with the uh, intellectual sensibility of a child, but with the imagery uh, that gave me chills. Uh, because there is a lot of people being cut in half, decapitated, uh, limbs are removed. Uh, there's a certain point in which you see a main character uh, who you've been with for the entire movie be reduced to just a brain, pair of eyes, and a heart. Uh, it is the type of thing that would genuinely have given me nightmares as a kid. 
it, yeah. Every so Alita comes by and she looks very humanoid. She's discovered in this scrap heap and put back together, and eventually she's alien technology. Like it's this whole long thing, and we're gonna spoil this movie. Sorry. She's alien technology and finds the alien war body that matches her alien core. But it just looks humanoid. Yeah. She puts on clothes. She has metal arms, like distinctly metal arms that are somewhat transparent. You can see the purple circuitry inside of it. Mm-hmm. And that looks fine. The reason I think a lot of these other designs, because again, everybody has cyborg body parts. The reason those don't look fine is because they are all very chunky very blocky they all look like sid's toys from toy story where weird heads have been put onto strange bodies and none of it works i know you said you don't like uh zapan who's a bounty hunter because there's also bounty hunters in this world yeah uh who are all what are they called hunter killers it's this yes hunter killers, hunter killers the most generic name <laughs> I, you could have just called them hunters and you would have been better off yeah. instead of calling them hunter killers which They're like adds... cyborg hunters anything literally anything else how cool a word is blade runner yeah 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 that's true i didn't even think about that Uh uh-huh because again they do the same thing where they track down crazy cyborg people because in this impoverished city everybody is not doing well and there are a lot of murderous people around yeah i think the one design that actually kind of looks okay is jack Haley as girlishka here's the thing he does not look like a person no, no. No, the face – here's the thing that actually bothered me less about it, and it's sort of what bothered me less about Alita, is that his face looks like one of the dwarves from, like, Warhammer or StarCraft, where he's got this really big nose and these protruding ears, and he looks like like a fantasy dwarf that's been put on top of a robot body, so everything is CGI, which looks bad, but it doesn't look – like viscerally uncomfortable because at least there's not a human face superimposed onto it. So I thought he looked the most gross. Not the worst in terms of CGI pairing. I think Zapan does look bad because it's total metal with human face. Yeah. I think he looks the most grotesque though because his robotic body is designed to look like a big muscle man in a way that's extremely uncomfortable. (laughs) It's disgusting. And it's comedic at first. Because the scene that he's introduced in is one of my favorites because it has all of the goofiest parts of this movie condensed into one. Yeah. Where um, a big part of the early stages of the movie is uh, Christoph Waltz going out at night mysteriously and Alita seeing him and trying to figure out where he's going. And eventually we find out that he's been wandering around at night because he too is a hunter killer. He's totally human. And I want you to picture this, dear listener. It is Christoph Waltz walking around in a trench coat and fedora holding a rocket-powered scythe like he is the most anime boy who has ever lived and going out to take on metal monstrosities that are 20 feet tall. And Grueshka is one of these metal monstrosities. And when you first see him, he is also wearing a trench coat and a hood, (laughs) but he is 20 feet tall and as wide as he is tall, and it looks insane. Yeah, it's the most Sin City bit, I guess. It is, and it... That kind of goofiness works for me, and then he takes off the hood, and you see what he actually looks like, and I've rarely been more uncomfortable by a design of something in a movie, but, like, that did it. And yeah. the, the people he's with, too, are equally unpleasant, where one of them is another woman wearing a hood, and she takes off the hood and turns into a bunch of, like, sewing needle spikes. She's like a blade lady, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, she's sort of like um the girl from Kingsman, the first one. Mm, yeah. Like that, or like Lady Deathstrike from X Men. Like, there's oh, a lot yeah. of. Oh, yeah. And 
it's just not it's not cool and that's a lame kind of categorization of it but i think this movie is supposed to be cool and i yeah probably yeah and i have trouble (laughs) with that because there's nothing in this that i think is neat with one exception there's one fight scene in this that i think is again to use the word cool and that's the mid moment fight with gruishka where alita has her low moment of the movie I think that was cool and compelling, but also it's the type of thing that I think only works for any adult in the audience because she is uh, decapitated, not decapitated, she has all of her limbs removed except for one arm, like she's the knight from Monty Python, (laughs) and she has to like fight him, and I know if I was a kid watching that, I would have been just mortified. Like I was sort of mortified watching it, but I do think as far as like, action filmmaking goes and a moment of like actual like perseverance and triumph from your main character uh i think yeah it does work yeah uh that, and i think gruishka he almost functions just as like a school bully in this movie like he uh, you're talking about like mahershal ali doesn't have a character gruishka is literally just like he is the grunt's grunt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because Mahershala Ali is in service of the people of Zalem, yeah. uh, the faceless Nova, who we don't see until the end, and, spoilers, is Edward Norton bafflingly enough. Also, it's never made clear who Nova is. No. Is he the mayor? Is he a scientist? I think he's a scientist, but the thing that really threw me off is occasionally we'll get these flashbacks that Alita has because of course she's an anime protagonist in a robot body so she has amnesia and doesn't know who she is and part of that are these flashbacks that she gets at critical moments in the story either when she's persevering when she's fighting I think one comes when she's fighting Gruishka that second time and and it happens the first time too actually and we learn oh my god all of these I think are awful because the first one we see is her fighting with other people that look like her and have the big CGI eyes on the moon yeah which oh boy guys that's nuts and then in the second I loved one, that I'll be honest that was I mean that was when it was so goofy I was like totally on board like, oh again yeah it's insane and yeah. then the second one we find out that she's part of a Martian race she's like a Martian designed robot and again like this is the first time you really get the sense that there's an alien presence in here, and I assume that it's like a colony, a colonial, you know, civil war type thing. But none of those were clear to me, and at one point they reference Nova, and it yeah. becomes very hard to tell the way these are presented, at least for me, if the flashbacks she's having are using characters from her own history and then transplanting them into the current situation she's in. So, like, this one woman we see in her past who I don't believe is ever named, who also, again, is the same kind of robot she is, says, yeah, Nova's, like, this bad guy. You have to get him. And it isn't clear to me if Nova existed 300 years ago when those flashbacks take place and has lived this long, which is possible, given the way alien technology works. But I I don't know. Like, I don't know what her past is besides she is a super cool robot who is able to get really powerful because again i'm i've read wikipedia articles about anime before and i yeah. understand how these tropes work i think that all comes down to like one of the three major issues that i think this movie has one it's that this movie sort of assumes that its audience has some familiar familiarity with the source material which is a person who is into nerdy stuff not as much anime and manga honestly but is still sort of in that realm i've never heard of battle angel Alita. And so the idea that this movie is sort of on board with like, oh, of course, like this is Alita, this is their backstory. We're going to just run through it and 
and try to make it as like flashy and interesting as possible. I respect that, but from a storytelling perspective, it is pretty confusing. Um, two, I think this movie expects to get sequels. Or is the type of movie that really thinks it's going to have another one? And I genuinely hope that there will be another one because I think generally Hollywood only makes one of these movies about once a year, which is essentially a movie that they make by accident where one director is influential enough to get it through the system and then they're like, oh, dang, we we just lost $100 million. But I think it's great when that actually gets to happen. So I'd love to see another one of this. There's no precedent for that actually happening. Oh, which is why it's insane that this movie thinks it's going to get a sequel. But- and the reason you're saying that is because it ends on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Where her boyfriend throughout the movie, Hugo, who we're going to talk about in a little bit, and I think is a heinous character. And he's I don't. the straight worst, yeah. Yeah, he's awful. Uh, he dies in an attempt to climb these big metal pipes up to Zalem <laughs> and gets decimated in an amazing way. Incredible. And so then Alita becomes determined by the death of somebody she cared about to go and become a motorball player because again this movie has 10 million things going on and we didn't mention this the only way for somebody in iron city to get to zalem is to play motorball and win because again super sport hunger games yeah i was gonna i was gonna say it's exactly like the hunger games it is um or the video game pyre like this trope exists and this is obviously not the genesis of it and the source material isn't either it's common so with that said, it ends with her stepping out into this critical motorball match to ascend to Zalem. Standing in the middle, everybody's cheering her name because time has passed and she's a champion now. Holding up the sword that she got and pointing at Zalem, where we cut to Nova, who we see for the first time in this moment. And it's this guy wearing these anime tiny little dot sunglasses and he takes them off and it's Edward Norton. And that's when we learn that. And that's how the movie ends. Imagine if Creed ended right before the final fight. That's how Alita ends. It, like you get to that point, and then it's like, all right, here we go. She's gonna she's gonna do the final like motorball battle, and then it's gonna and then the next movie is like, and we'll at least have somewhat of a full circle arc going on here. And then in the next movie, she'll actually we'll actually learn about what this uh, city is, and there'll be some more political intrigue. Sounds great. No, 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 no. It just sort of ends. <laughs> yeah, I was very surprised that the end of this movie wasn't her getting into Zalem. I think that would have worked a lot more. I think so, too. I do like that we don't spend time in Zalem. I think that's a really cool choice. and It makes me want... It's one of the main reasons I want to actually see a sequel, because I'm too. curious as to what Zalem is. Yeah, so am I. But they do it... They roll that one step back, and it's one step back too far for that to work. You could cut 10 minutes out of the Hugo subplot and easily have finished this movie in a much better place. You could have. And here... Okay, we disagree on why we think Hugo is terrible. Yes. So I'll let you go first, and then I'll say my piece. All right. So no disrespect to the actor Kian Johnson. Um, I've never seen him in anything else. He might be a very good actor in other roles. However, uh, I think he's very bad in this. I think he is innately unlikable pretty much from frame one. Uh, I think there's just something about his energy in this movie that's just sort of uh, obnoxious. And then his character, I agree, is not good, uh, but he's pretty much a blank slate. So he's not given a lot to work with. And it really feels like a very coached, coached performance. It doesn't feel like someone... He really at no point feels like a real person. He feels like someone that's reading off a script. Because well, he, the trope he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be 
the bad boy without the bad. So he's your James from Twin Peaks type character who wears a leather jacket and rides a motorcycle and goes around and knows a lot about like mechanics, but is loving and caring and is going to support you and treat you right. Which... If you sand down every edge of James Dean, you get this character. Yeah, you do. Except you don't. <laughs> no. And, no, because halfway through the movie, you realize that he is one of the worst people in this movie. <laughs> He's terrible. So what... God... What Hugo does to earn money, because he's also working for Mahershal Ali, who promises everybody he interacts with that he's going to get them to Zalem. Spoilers, yep. not going to happen. Why none of these characters who are very smart, like Jennifer Connelly, does not realize that that promise is impossible is baffling. Yep. Jennifer Connelly goes under the same deal, and it's insane that her character is treated like an idiot. Very frustrating. But Hugo is doing this too, and the way he is earning money to pay Mahershala Ali is by going through the city and kidnapping people, ripping off their robot arms and legs, and then selling the parts. Let's think about this for a second. He is the likable boyfriend in this movie. Translate this to if all of these people were human, and he was going around and cutting off their arms and legs and selling them for parts. It is the same thing in this universe. There's more chance for people to get repaired because we have people like Christoph Waltz around. But we're supposed to like this guy, and eventually he feels sorry for it, and he tries to stop it from happening. But what he's doing is so unforgivable to me that I can't stand it. And we're supposed to like him. And we're supposed to root for Alita to forgive him. We are, but we're supposed to like him too, and one of the ways we know this is because of another scene that I really am frustrated by, which is a an intimate moment between Alita and Hugo where Hugo is talking about how he wants to get up to Zalem and how he needs money for it and how he only needs another 90K credits or whatever sci-fi money they use. And Alita says, oh, I'll give you my heart. <laughs> and earlier in the movie, she, it, Christoph Waltz tells her that her core, her robot heart, is why she's so strong and powerful. That's part of the robot design that she had. So in this movie, <laughs> that's trying to create another franchise out of a strong female character they have a little mermaid moment where she willfully tries to give away the source of her power to save her boyfriend and it also ties into another thing which is notice how we haven't talked about alita a lot in this movie yeah. that's called alita battle angel because she's not a character and it's she she's not a character outside of the anime protagonist trappings that we see her in but she doesn't have anything that makes her innately either likable or charismatic, or fun to watch, They're, or deeply flawed. No, and it's also disappointing that she, essentially in this movie, falls in love within five minutes of being a real person. Uh, again, if you could, I know that it would be pretty much throwing away a lot of what I assume is the source material. Hugo could be entirely cut from this movie, and one of the other problems is that the two lead actors, the two top-billed actors in this movie, have the least characterization, which is Christoph Waltz. And I think that Rosa Salazar, who plays Alita, and Christoph Waltz are innately charismatic performers. Mm -hmm. uh, performers. Uh, I think they're both likable, um, and they both exist entirely as exposition machines to exposit at each other so the movie can keep going. Um, or at least Christoph Watts exposits, and then she acts as the character that doesn't know anything, so we can know th stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I think because of that, uh, and because this movie is trying to uh, run through four volumes of a manga, um, you know, there's no time for anything else. It honestly feels like a much better version 
but still very similar structurally to the movie The Last Airbender, <laughs> where there's no time to actually develop any of the characters because essentially every 10 minutes we need to actually we need to do another episode of Avatar, uh, and we need to keep going. And so what in the show was able to have this time to breathe and actually have these real character moments has to be sanded down because we need to go through a whole season of television. And I'm not saying Alita is nearly as bad as The Last Airbender because it's at least competent in a lot of ways that Last Airbender is. But from a storytelling perspective, I think they have the same inherent issue of instead of going, hey, how many elements of this can we cut to actually get to the core of what this story is about? Instead of saying, we like all these elements of the story, how many of them can we fit in to be as exciting as possible? Yeah, actually, that's a really good way to put it. There are three or four movies in this one movie, not all of which are interesting on their own, but all of which would have been at least more focused stories. So the idea of this is the Alita Motorball movie. It is about her going through and rising through Motorball and eventually getting to Zalem at the end. That is a cleaner story. The idea of her trying to learn to become a bounty hunter, again, she eventually does, her becoming a bounty hunter, fighting Gruishka, who keeps coming back mysteriously because he's being backed by a mysterious force, Nova. Yeah. That's an interesting movie. Her dealing with Mahershala Ali is never interesting because they <sighs> give him the most criminally underwritten character, I think, of his entire career. What if Morbius was evil? Yeah. No, he... <sighs> Just let the poison out, Jake. He is a powerful person in Iron City who's in charge of motorball and in charge of like rigging matches so if you've seen a boxing movie he's that character and he is under the control of Nova literally Nova will occasionally hijack his body make his eyes glow blue so you know that he's hijacking his body and have him make promises to people like Jennifer Connelly or anybody else he's around but what that means is that Mahershala Ali's character, Vector, isn't actually a character because we spend probably as much time with Vector who just silently stares at people as we do with Nova-controlled Vector who talks through him. So when Vector eventually dies because Alita kills him, and that's the climax of this movie, this death of a non-villain, you don't feel anything because he's nothing. He's a mini-boss. Yeah. He, and, yeah, it's part of the struggle of this movie that it's a first-act or yeah. maybe even less than that, depending on how many entries they want in this series. Yeah, and I have no idea how many actual volumes of the manga. I heard that this is an adaptation of the first, first four. I don't know if there's 12 or 20. Like this, Even though they're going through a lot of story, it's very possible that Alita was a very long-running series, and so you know they, th that is an issue inherently. No, this is a first episode of TV. It's a you, pilot, yeah. Yeah, where you get all of the setup, and then each episode is going to explore one of those ideas. So we're going to have our motorball arc through this. We're going to have our bounty hunter arc through this. And we're going to have time to sit with it. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but this is one of the ways I think Altered Carbon actually works better than this. And again, I use this comparison because they are the same exact story. Really, look at them. Read the Wikipedias of both. Same story. Floating city. Class inequality. Android bodies. Amnesia. Martian origins. Or alien origins. All of these things are the same. But at least that can take time and slowly build up this world and slowly establish things and deal with each plot point individually. Whereas this is, hey, motorball is something we see her practicing at the beginning and then she's gonna have a big moment of it in the middle and then we see her at the very end in a motorball arena not doing anything. And it's just too much. Um, and because I'm feeling defensive about how critical we're being of this, it isn't bad. 
No. There are moments of joy. There is the Gruishka fight where we get our one F-bomb and she impales him in the eye, and that's so cool. That's awesome. So good. Genuinely incredible moment that there are a lot of movies that I think are better than this don't have something that that's that good. I don't think Avengers has something that's that good or powerful. But everything around it is very tame and traditional and flat and also lacks the most important part of this story, which is a philosophy. Yeah. The point of the Are Androids People story, which is Blade Runner and, again, all of the things that came before it and all the things that have came since, is what does it mean to be human? Can you be human if you're not human? And there are passes at that. Hugo says the infuriating line to Alita when she says, am I human or can I, you love a human? You're the most human person I know. Which sounds like it means something and sounds like it answers that question, but it actually means nothing because that does not make sense and it doesn't answer that feeling. Yeah, what's your basis for humanity at that point? Is it just because, like, she's nice? Like, what makes her human, like, essentially? Very well said. Thank you for coming on, Aiden. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Yeah, of course. Thanks for starting this season off strong. If people want to find what you do, where can they do it? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Aliens98. I retweet a bunch of stuff about movies. All right. Good stuff. Uh, I am also on Twitter at JD underscore Leary. I also tweet a bunch of or retweet a bunch of stuff about movies and terrible people who need to be stopped. Um, you can find me on the Ithacan and read my review of Alita Battle Angel, where I probably more coherently say a lot of what I've said here. And you can listen to me on other podcasts across Ithaca College, like Overlooked on the Passion Project, which is an Overlooked movie podcast, or Gone Batty, a show I independently produce and host with Colin Tessier about Batman the Animated Series. So please check those out so I can learn how to do stuff, because I like doing that. This show is now back. It is every week, and it is gone back to an audio-only format. Unfortunately, we can't really sustain video at this point, but it was a great ride while it lasted. Shout out to Nick Friend, our previous podcast producer, for making it go. And with that said, thank you for listening. Go watch Alita, I guess.